1 Samuel 24, we begin in verse 1. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Enjedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. And David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt? Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee. But mine eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, Forasmuch as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. 
And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord, that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men got them up unto the hold. Amen. We'll end our reading at the end of the chapter. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. Oh, if only the matter would have ended there. Maybe things would have turned out well for Saul and for David. But we know that it wouldn't be long. And this whole episode would be repeated again in a different fashion. Saul would pursue David again. And David would have the leverage to kill Saul again. And David would spare Saul yet again. And so the cycle would repeat. It, uh, it shows us a little bit, doesn't it, how deep the conviction ran in David's heart as to how he would treat Saul. We considered when we opened up this study that the Lord Jesus himself instructed his disciples in the matters of the kingdom of God. And when he did so, he really didn't say anything new when he said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's in Matthew 5 and verse 44. And the chapter that we've just read now for the second time graphically illustrates the practice of that saying of Christ. Several centuries before Christ came into the world. You are aware, if you know your Old Testament history at all, then you know that Saul certainly treated David as his enemy. He possessed an intense hatred for the man he considered to be the rival to his throne. He did not want David to reign. He wanted his own dynasty to be extended. He wanted Jonathan, his son, to reign. So he despitefully used David, and he, per he uh, persecuted him by pursuing him all over Judah, putting to death anyone and everyone that he thought showed the slightest allegiance to David. And that would eventually uh, involve a whole city of priests. You may recall how David would go to that city and he would uh, have the priest minister food to him and to his men uh, before they took off, and that would eventually be reported to Saul. And when Saul came to that city of priests, he had every one of them slain before uh, himself. A terrible, atrocious crime, but it shows the hatred that Saul had toward a rival to his throne. But then Saul overstepped himself, and that's what we read today. As sinners generally do, who lose track of God and God's sovereign rule, he entered the very cave where David and his men were hiding. He didn't enter it pursuing David. He entered it thinking it was a private place where he could relieve himself. And in the providence of God, he had walked right into David's hands. It would certainly seem to be 
an opportune time for David to put an end to the conflict once and for all. You remember that his men certainly saw it that way and encouraged him. Verse 4, Behold the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. And yet when push came to shove, David couldn't bring himself to do it. He could have raised, I suppose, a number of arguments as to why he wouldn't do it. Jonathan, Saul's son, was after all his best friend. Um, Michael, Saul's daughter, had been married to David. There was a family connection here. I suppose David could have excused himself for that, but that wasn't the excuse that he gave for exercising restraint. The excuse that he gave is, this man has been appointed to this office by the Lord himself. He is the anointed of the Lord. God put him in this position. I cannot, therefore, raise my hand against him. And so David would not. So we commenced a study then last week on the Christian's duty to reward good for evil. We covered uh, a point uh, that had to do with the Christ-likeness of this precept. This seems very unusual, and it certainly goes uh, against the grain of what we might call natural inclination. Usually when someone is treating us wrong, our natural inclination is to return that kind of conduct in kind. Christ shows us a different way. Christ shows us a different attitude. Indeed, um, who was treated more unjustly than Christ? And everything he endured. That's something to keep in mind, you know, especially when it comes to the practice of this precept. You think you're being so mistreated. Are you being as mistreated as Christ was mistreated? I dare say you're not. And yet, how did Christ respond? He told his disciples how he could have responded. Think, think not thou that I could now call on how many legions? Twelve legions of angels who would at once come and deliver me. Christ would not do it. He rewarded evil with good and that he willingly went all the way to Calvary's cross and certainly brought about the good of our salvation. So we have Christ to follow as our example. Second point we covered had to do with the Christian having a strong sense of conviction in order to follow this precept of rewarding evil for good. At first, David seemed willing to take the advice of his men, we read in verse 4, And the men of David said to him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. And it was after hearing that word from his men that we read of David in the rest of verse 4, that David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. That action seemed to be the prelude to cutting off Saul himself. But then we find the response of David's heart 
given to us in verse 5, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. That would have been the easy path, you know. He would not go the way his men advised. In fact, he would go so far as to restrain them from taking this course. Verse 7 tells us that David stayed his servants with these words, suffered them not to rise against Saul. He restrained them, in other words. The picture then that emerges from this word on closer examination is that David, in a sense, divided himself from his men. He took a different position from theirs, and having taken that position, he then prevailed over his men by not allowing them to rise against Saul. Why that change of mind? Why that change of action? Why this seeming division between David and his men? And the answer is, of course, because of the strength of David's conscience. The meaning of the term heart, when we read the statement, David's heart smote him. It was his conscience that smote him with conviction that this was not the right time, nor the right way to go about things, even though the moment seemed to be an opportune one. A man of lesser conviction would have taken the easier path. A man who could stifle his conscience would not have found the fortitude to resist others who didn't possess the same conviction. Those with no sense of conviction will always follow the crowd. They'll go with the flow, so to speak. Though it certainly is inspiring, therefore, to read of a character in the Old Testament that not only has convictions, but has the courage of his convictions. Well, let's pick up our study then this afternoon under point number three, which is the Christian must have the faith to commit his own cause to Christ. If he's going to follow this precept, rewarding good for evil, the Christian must have the faith to commit his own cause to Christ. David didn't merely let Saul walk away without letting him know that God had delivered him into his hands. Verse 7 tells us, Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. But verse 8 tells us, David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul. He proved to Saul that he could have killed him by showing Saul the skirt of his robe that he had cut off in the cave. And then he explained to Saul why he hadn't killed him and what he had done instead. And it is this matter of what David had done instead that we find revealed in verse 12. Look at it with me. This is in 1 Samuel 24. This is David speaking to Saul. The Lord judge between me and thee. And the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. And then jump down to verse 15. The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. David, you see, had committed his own cause to the Lord. 
Let the Lord judge. Let the Lord do with you as he sees fit, David says in effect. And as you make your way to the end of 1 Samuel, you'll come to see that the Lord did judge and that eventually the Lord did remove Saul from the earth. That wouldn't happen, however, for quite some time. Life wouldn't get any easier for David following this meeting with Saul. David would yet grow so discouraged that he would come to the conclusion that eventually Saul is going to succeed and Saul is going to kill me. He would lose heart and his faith would wane. David, after all, was only human. And we have the account of him fleeing to the land of the Philistines in order to seek refuge from Saul in the land of the enemies of the Israelites. What we must note about him now, however, is that in the narrative we've read, we see that David knew that the Lord ruled over all and that the Lord was and is the judge of all the earth. And because of his faith in that truth, He could and would leave Saul in God's hands rather than raise his own hand against him. He would commit his own cause to the Lord by leaving the matter of Saul in God's hands. Now it's not too hard to profess that the Lord rules over all when life is going smoothly and a Christian isn't facing the kind of trials that David was facing at this time in his life. Under those circumstances, there is no challenge to committing our own ways to the Lord. Not quite so easy to profess and act upon when everything seems stacked against you, especially when you're faced with a moment in time that presents itself as an easy solution to all your problems. Had David not been convinced along the way of his trials that the Lord was his shepherd and his king and his protector and his provider, it would have been easy for him to give in to a moment of expediency. The Psalms, however, that correspond to this time period in David's life reveal to us that David knew that God was with him and that God was for him. Psalm 57 is called a psalm of the cave. In Psalm 57 and verse 3, David anticipates, He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Psalm 142 is another psalm of the cave. And in that psalm, we see David committing his own cause to the Lord In fact, why don't we look at that psalm? It's a short one. Let me read it to you. This is Psalm 142. The title here is important. It ties it to our narrative. Masculine of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. 
I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. An example there of David committing his way to the Lord. And in committing ourselves to the Lord under times of deep distress and affliction, we do but follow the path of Christ himself. So we read in 1 Peter, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. This is why Peter, in the fourth chapter of that same epistle, exhorts us in verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. If we're convinced, therefore, that rewarding good for evil is in keeping with conformity to Christ, if we have the right convictions and the courage of our convictions, as well as the faith that enables us to commit our cause to Christ, then we won't find it impossible to reward good for evil. There is one more thing about this precept I want you to see that will encourage you to practice it, which is, finally, the Christian must appreciate the power of the truth. The Christian must appreciate the power of the truth. The truth was that David was not rising up against Saul. The truth was that David feared God and would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. The truth was that David still respected Saul and was still willing to submit to Saul. And the truth was that David could have killed Saul. But he didn't. And when the truth is proven to Saul, we see the impact that it had on Saul. Beginning in verse 16, look at what it says there. And it came to pass when David made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord re reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. Well, Saul had been blinded by his own ambition and stubbornness. But when at last he couldn't escape the truth of David's integrity and loyalty, 
That truth had the effect on him of smiting his own conscience with conviction and thus restraining his sin, at least for a time. I believe the passage demonstrates to us not only that David was still loyal to Saul, but that God himself was still being merciful to Saul. In spite of the way he had pursued David, in spite of the awful crimes he had committed along the way, not the least of which was executing that entire city of priests I referenced earlier, he could still be a recipient of God's mercy. The Lord is certainly long-suffering with us all. But what I want you to see now in closing is the effect of the truth upon Saul. David's testimony had the effect of melting Saul's heart. Rewarding good for evil is what accomplished that. If only Saul had kept his heart in that condition, if only he hadn't hardened his heart again, there might have been a smooth transition between Saul's reign and David's reign, and Saul could have left behind him a legacy of being a great king. Oh, that your testimony and mine could have such an effect on sinners as to restrain them from the pursuit of their own destruction and lead them to salvation. We can affect sinners that way when we learn to manifest a Christ-like spirit that rewards good for evil. So I wonder this afternoon, do you find yourself being mistreated along the way? It may come from an employer. It may come from a friend. It may come from a relative. It may come from someone near and dear to you. You don't understand their dealings with you. You've shown them so much in terms of loyalty and devotion and yet gain back so little if you gain anything back at all. Let me encourage you not to allow yourself to be pulled down to the level of those that reward evil with evil. Stay above the fray by keeping your mind and heart stayed on Christ and know that the time will come in the Lord's timing when your testimony will have the effect of stopping a sinner dead in his tracks and forcing him to face the truth of his own sin. That's what happened here with David and Saul. It may not happen on your timetable, but it will happen so long as you grow not weary in well-doing, but persevere in your faith by exhibiting that Christ-likeness that enables you to reward good for evil. Let's close then in prayer. And let's all pray. O Lord, as we bow in thy presence now and bring this meeting to a close, we thank you that we can see even in Old Testament times gospel power being worked out in the life of thy servant David. How Christ-like he appears in rewarding one who pursued him and who would slay him. He rewarded him good for evil. We know of no one who has done this better than Christ himself. 
O Lord, we pursued him with our sins, and it was our sins that nailed him to a cross, and yet he's given us salvation rather than the condemnation we deserve. And we know that he calls on us to do the same, to reward evil with good. So Lord, help us to recognize that in so doing, the potential is before us of having the greatest and the deepest impact on those who so mistreat us. So help us, Lord, to take the matter to heart and to practice what Christ himself demonstrated and what David demonstrated many centuries before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.